Hello, interwebs. Greetings from Salt Lake City. So, I know this is very unorthodox. We haven't done anything like this. <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, Manuel Ramirez joining you from Salt Lake City. Uh, a huge shout out to Jason for holding down the fort this week. Uh, I came up for some uh, some personal matters that I needed to attend to in Salt Lake. And it got me thinking, uh, when I talked to Jason, he mentioned that he recorded an episode for everyone. And I thought, I wonder if I can do this on my phone. And so uh, I'm trying this out for the first time. I have no idea how this is going to sound. I don't have any of my equipment that I normally have. So I'm doing this on my phone uh, from Salt Lake. So my apologies if the recording isn't all that great. Um, but it's happening. I thought I would throw out another DLC for, for our listeners. Um, I'll get a little bit into why I came up to Salt Lake City later, probably in a future episode. Um, but uh, for the time being, I wanted to talk about something that I've been thinking, um, thinking about a lot of late, and that is uh, how to treat people. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, or at least I'm going to be talking about today. I do not have Jason. In fact, I wouldn't even know, I don't even know how I can include him on here um, doing this from my phone. So something I'll explore uh, offline and see if something like this happens in the future, if he and I can can record together. But you got one with him and you'll get another one from me. So um, double dipping, I guess, so to speak. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the golden rule. We've been, we're going into, or we're actually right in the middle of our political season here in the States. And it's not just about picking the president of the United States, nor is it about picking who's going to be your representative in Congress or who might be your senator in, in, in uh, Congress, right? Um, but it, it's a little bit more than that in our political season. We're all going to the polls. Hopefully you get out and vote. We're all going to the polls to not only select our politicians in Washington, D.C., but you're more than likely voting on people at the local level, at the state and local level. And you might even be voting on, on measures, bills, whatever, at the state and local level. You might be voting on new bond measures, for example, which are going to increase your taxes on your property taxes. Um, you might be voting on... Um, if you're in Arizona, another, another perfect example is should marijuana be legalized? That's on the ballot this year, this November. So Arizonans are going to cast their ballots to see should people be allowed to just smoke marijuana for whatever personal reasons they may have. So there are a lot of different things that people are voting on this year. In your own respective states, there are going to be other measures um, that might be of interest to you. And when we vote, we affect other people. And so that got me thinking, well, how do I want to treat people when I'm voting? But it also got me thinking, just in general, how do I want to be treated or how do I want to treat other people in my life that are around me day to day? So how we treat people, the way we look at the world and how we treat other people is something that invariably strikes us not only on a personal level, and in those relationships that we have with one another, 
but also at a more systemic level, at a societal level, how we impact each other through our culture and through the decisions that we make that do impact each other, like when we go to the polls to vote. Now, of course, when we're talking about politics, politicians always love to create reasons for us to vote for one thing or one person or another, saying how it's going to benefit our lives in a certain way. And it may. But I think we also have to think about how does it affect other people's lives? And in fact, that's how, that's how we interact when we're in relationships with other people. The actions that we take are going to affect the people around us. And so we tend to be cognizant of if I do something, how, is, how are my parents going to feel about it? Or how is my spouse going to react to something? But we, do, we make those kinds of decisions very, very quickly. And there, there's one thing that our culture has propagated a lot, and that is the idea of the golden rule. I have other sound effects. I don't know if anybody's picking those up, if it's coming through the application or not. It'll be really interesting if I get various alarms or whatnot uh, happening. So we'll just have to see how that... Hopefully it's not coming through on the recording. Hopefully it's just my voice, but uh, that'll remain to be seen. Anyway, um, getting back to the golden rule. There are actually two things, uh, two rules I want to talk about. The golden rule and the silver rule. You're probably not familiar with the silver rule, but I'll get into that in just a moment. But think for a moment about the golden rule. And the golden rule is very simple. I think many people, when you hear the golden rule, you think, I can agree with that. That's something I can support and get behind. The golden rule is simply treat other people as you want to be treated. You might have heard it in the format of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The same thing. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. But is that always a truism? If you're going to treat other people a certain way, or if you're going to treat people the way you want to be treated, well, then you have to understand how is it that you want to be treated. You have to think about that. You have to reflect how is it that I want to be treated so that I can give that same energy back into the universe and, and treat other people the way that I want to be treated. And so this gets back to something that Jason and I talk a lot about on our show, which is what are your values and principles? What are the values that guide your life? If you don't know what those values are, then it's going to be very difficult for you to quantify how it is that you want to be treated. Now, you might, you might come up with a, a, a response which is simply, well, I want, to, I want to be treated with dignity and respect. And that sounds fantastic. Who doesn't want to be treated with dignity and respect? The question that I would ask you then is, well, how do you define dignity and respect? What does dignity and respect look like for you? And what we also have to keep in mind is what you might be considered respectful or dignified other people may not consider it respectful or dignified. So it's not just simply treating somebody or performing an action for another human being in the, 
and you wanting that same action be done unto you. So we don't just do the same action that we would want other people to do for us. We don't just do that for other people because they might have a different definition of, for example, respect or dignity. So when I was thinking about this, one of, you know, I read a lot and one of my favorite fiction books of all time is Dune by Frank Herbert. You may have read it. You may at least be familiar with it. There's a, there was a movie that was published in the early 80s, uh, and it was a very bad movie. But if you like Dune, you might like it from time to time. There's a new movie, a new Dune movie, that was supposed to be released this December, but it's now pushed to next year. So you may have heard of it. You might be familiar with Dune. But there's a, there's a, there's a specific scene in Dune, in the novel, that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the Golden Rule. And the scene goes like this. In the book, House Atreides takes control over the planet Arrakis, Dune, colloquially referred to as Dune. And House Atreides comes from a water planet, and Arrakis is this desert planet. Like It doesn't rain, there's no water, there's no moisture on the planet, there's very little moisture on the planet. And so House Atreides, they're in their fortress, their castle, and they've just, they've newly arrived, and they're having this large meeting. They're having this meeting with uh, the, the Duke Leto Atreides, he's the head of the house, and he's meeting with certain advisors. And in walks another, another member of House Atreides, and he brings with him one of the Fremen. They're called Fremen, they're the local population. population. And the Fremen live out in the desert. People don't really know a lot about them. And the Fremen, he walks in, his name is Stilgar, and the first thing that he does is he spits on the table. And all of the members of House Atreides are taken aback. To them, that was a symbol of disrespect to the Duke. And the caretaker, the other member who brought the Fremen in, who brought in Stilgar, says, no, 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 no. What you don't understand here is water is such a precious thing on Arrakis. There is no precipitation on, on, on Arrakis. And so water is the most valuable of valued commodities ever. Think about gold and then multiply the value of gold by like a thousand and you'll start to get close to the value of water on Arrakis. And the Fremen capture moisture in everything, in how they breathe, they capture their sweat, all of their liquids they recapture so they can use it again. And so when Stilgar comes in and he spits on the table, he gave moisture to the Duke. He gave his own moisture to the Duke. So while all of House Atreides, House Atreides comes from the planet Caladan, which is a water planet. There's oceans and rivers and lakes and there's rain all the time. And so they were taken, they were affronted. They were, they thought it was a sign of disrespect because they're, they're not used to viewing moisture in the same way that the Fremen do. But yet his sign, his spit, was a sign of the utmost respect to Duke Leto Atreides. And so when I was thinking about that in the Golden Rule, you want to be respectful, but what does it mean to be respectful to other people? They might have a different definition of respect. So you have to do some thinking, not only about yourself, 
But you have to think about what is considered respectful for those others, for, for other people that you want to interact with. You can't treat them with dignity and respect unless you know something about them. Only then can you treat them with dignity and respect so that they understand that. So they understand what that means. There are certain places that we can start. Our culture has various practices that are considered respectful to one another. For example, saying things like please and thank you. Shaking somebody's hand when you meet them for the first time or upon departing, right? Using certain types of language or not using certain types of language in certain, depending on your interactions and the context of a meeting. So there are cultural touch points that we can draw upon to show dignity and respect to other people, but it's only a starting place. So you can't just blindly apply the golden rule. You have to think about it. What does it mean? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? What are my values? How do I want to be treated? So that I can go out and I can treat other people in a like manner. Now, um, I was reading, I finished reading another book. I forgot the name of the author, my apologies. But the book is called Skin in the Game. It's a really interesting book. I recommend anybody reading it. And it's about relationships, in a manner of speaking, entering into agreements or taking advice from other people. And you want to, the whole purpose of the book is, you want to deal with people that have skin in the game. Because when people have skin in the game, then the system in which we work and which, in which we are uh, interacting in becomes valuable. When people do not have skin in the game, then they can make, they may say certain things or they may behave in certain ways, but it doesn't matter because they don't have skin in the game. There's nothing for them to risk. There's no, um, there's nothing for them to lose should they be wrong. And so you want to interact with people that have skin in the game. This is why businesses tend to operate so well in a free society. And there are a lot of people that think that businesses operate in a uh, zero-sum game, meaning that the, the business owner just simply takes from their consumers. But that's not exactly the case. In many respects, that's not the case at all. Because if I'm, if I'm running a restaurant, then it behooves me to create quality food. We can define quality, of course. What, what is the definition of quality in that context? But I want to, there's, there, I have skin in the game in how I treat you as a customer. Because if I treat you poorly, then you're going to leave my establishment and you're going to go tell all of your friends and family not to come to my restaurant. But if I treat you well, you're going to spread the word. You're going to tell your family and friends, oh, you should check out that place. They have great food. They have great customer service great value. I have skin in the game. Journalists, for example, don't have skin in the game. The so-called experts of whatever kind of policy you want to dream up, there's experts all the time crawling out of the woodwork, they don't necessarily have skin in the game. Because if a journalist publishes something, 
and they're wrong, who cares? They don't lose their jobs over it. They don't lose a bonus over it. There's, no, there's nothing keeping them back from reporting fake news. They're just going to do it all over again. One of the reasons why in the book, the book talks about how journalists are one of these types of people that don't have skin in the game, and so therefore they create news items to gain the approval of other journalists. If you're interested in that kind of thing, I highly recommend you read the book. There's an audiobook on it as well. But in that book, I didn't want to just necessarily talk blindly about the, the book. In the book, the author introduces this concept called the silver rule. And the silver rule goes hand in hand with the golden rule. I don't know if the author actually created this or if somebody else created it, um, but it's quite brilliant when you think about it. And the, gold, the silver rule is the opposite of the golden rule. And that is, don't do unto others that which you would not want them have done unto you. Or that which you don't want them want to have done unto you. So let me rephrase that. Don't do unto others that which you don't want them to do unto you. So you don't want to hurt other people if you don't also want to be hurt. Okay. And when I was thinking about the silver rule contrasted with the golden rule, I thought, well, this is really interesting, particularly in the time of politics, in the midst of our political season, for example. So let me, let me explain. There's a measure in the state of Arizona to increase taxes to pay for childhood education. I've, I've gotten on my soapbox about educators and teachers and all of that. And you can go back into our archives and you'll be able to find that episode if you want to hear more about my diatribes about teachers. This is not a diatribe about teachers at all. Every, every election cycle, we get a new bill wanting to increase taxes to pay for childhood education. And then every, and then two years goes by and I, we get to hear again how we don't have enough money for childhood education and everybody wants to raise taxes again on childhood education. So this year we have another measure on the ballot to increase taxes for childhood education. But there are some people that are celebrating this, um, this new measure. Why? Because it only tax people who make $250,000 a year or more. I think that's the cutoff. Might be mistaken on that number, but I believe that's the cutoff here in Arizona, 250000 So if you make $250,000 or more, your taxes will go up if this measure passes. And of course, there are people that are celebrating this in Arizona, saying, see, you need to vote for it because it's not going to impact you. It's going to impact somebody else. It's going to impact somebody else with money. They're the ones that are going to have to pay for it. And that sounds great on its surface. Who doesn't want to give money to children? I think everybody understands that children need to be educated. Nobody disagrees with that. Nobody disagrees that it does take money to educate students. Nobody disagrees with that either. 
Nobody disagrees that it's going to take money to pay for teachers and it's going to take money to pay for schools to establish those things. Nobody's going to disagree that it takes money to run those schools from an administrative perspective. Nobody's going to disagree that it takes money to ensure that the students are safe and well protected while they're at school. So it does take money to educate children. I think we can all agree on that. But is it okay for the large majority of people who do not make $250,000 a year, is it okay for them to go to the polls and force a subgroup of people to pay? Is that okay to do? There are many people that say, yes, that is okay to do. But I say the opposite. I say it's not okay to do. Would you, if you're making $50,000 a year, would you, do you want to have your taxes raised to pay for childhood education? If you're not willing to have your taxes raised for whatever, it doesn't even have to be for childhood education. It could be for anything. Why should, we, why should a majority of people enforce their will upon a minority of people, even though we may all agree that the idea or the concept for which we're trying to pay is a good concept? Replace, replace childhood education with something else. Replace it with uh, medical costs. Replace it with housing costs. We want to raise taxes on people who make $250,000 a year or more to pay for low-income housing. Sounds great. Who doesn't want low-income families who are struggling, who doesn't want to make sure that they have a place to sleep at night? I think that's, again, something we can all agree on. The question isn't whether or not that's important. The question becomes, is it right for us as a society to enforce our will on a minority of people in our society? And I say it's not right. Because if you're not willing to come up to the plate and to pay more in your own taxes, then why should you vote to make somebody else pay more in theirs? The silver rule. Do not do unto others that which you do not want them to do unto you. And I think that's really powerful. And I've seen this thing in other environments. I've seen it where we go to the polls and we, we tax cigarette smokers so that we can pay for childhood education or that we can pay for programs to get people to stop smoking. I've seen us go to the polls and vote against people who drink alcohol so that we can collect money and do other things with it. Well, what happens when the large majority says, you know what? There's something else we want to tax you for. And what if that thing targets you? Video gamers a few years back were in, were, uh, were in an uproar because members in Congress looked at this video game called World of Warcraft, which at the time something like 15, 20 million people 
around the world were playing. It was huge back in about 2006, 2007 timeframe. The game was gigantic. There were tens of millions of people playing this video game. And members in Congress found out that, hey, you know what? In the video game, people go around and they collect stuff. Items in the video game, whatever. They collect these certain items. And then they take it in the video game, they take it to this place called the auction house. And they put it up on the auction house and they sell the items to other people who play the game using in-game currency. So in the game, if you play World of Warcraft, you go around, you do these quests, and you collect money. You, get, you, get, you re- earn money for doing quests and stuff and selling items, and you earn it in copper, or silver, and gold pieces. And so this is just an in-game currency. There's, it's not actual copper or silver or gold. And then you use that to buy other objects within the game. You go to the auction house, and you can say, I want a new armor set. I want a new sword for my character. And so I'm going to look at swords and I'm going to find a really cool sword that I want my character to have and I'm going to buy that sword using in-game money. People in Congress, congressmen, heard about this and said, you know what? We should tax that. We We should apply a dollar tax to World of Warcraft whenever a transaction is made inside the game. This was a legitimate idea that Congress floated. Because there are millions of these transactions happening every hour within the the game world. So they saw it as this potential for revenue generation. Video game players, especially players who play World of Warcraft, immediately were in an uproar. Why should we have to do that? Why should we have to pay for things from our game, from what we, we enjoy. And their question was absolutely valid, absolutely legitimate. And so just because you want to attack a certain minority or a certain subgroup in population, a, a subgroup that you do not belong to, there will come a time when the majority of people will attack your subgroup a subgroup that to which you belong, whether that's income-based, whether that's racially-based, whether that's location-based. If you live in Arizona, what if Congress were to say, you know what, if you live in the state of Arizona, we're going to tax you more than everybody else. If you live in the Southwest, we're going to tax you, we're going to apply a higher tax to you to pay for defense, let's say. This is the kind of thing that can happen. What if you live in the, in the valley area here in Phoenix? You know, if the, the valley is comprised of several different cities like Phoenix and Glendale and Tempe, Mesa, Chandler, Peoria. A lot of little cities all stuck together. Okay. But what if Phoenix said, or the state said, you know what, if you live in these smaller cities, we're going, to char- we're going to tax you more. Okay. At some point in your life, you will find yourself in a minority subgroup of some kind, whether that's a smoker, whether that's as an alcohol drinker, wine drinker, beer drinker, video gamer, 
um, RC car enthusiast, model train maker, at some point you will belong to a subgroup within our society. What if the majority of people come after your subgroup? You are now going to find yourself in the minority. Who's going, to, who's going to speak on your behalf? As voters, we should be thinking about that. Who's going to defend the minority? Or are you just going to go to the polls every time and vote against the minority because you happen to not be in that minority? This is the fundamental problem with democracy, with democratic rule. Democracies tend to be government by mob rule, because what, as long as you're part of the mob, you're fine. But that mob morphs and changes, and the mob is always looking for a new group to attack. They're looking for a new minority group of some kind to attack, a minority group that is acceptable to attack, so that they can penalize them for their lifestyle or get something from them. And so you have to be careful. At some point, you're going to be part of that minority group, and then who's going to speak for you? So we should all be thinking about that. Now, it's not my intention to come out here and tell you vote no on childhood education. You might have your own reasons on voting yes for childhood education. Maybe you do make $250,000 a year, and maybe you're one of the few people that is saying, yes, please tax me, I want to pay more. Well, that's fine. At least you own it. If you're somebody who says, yes, please tax me, I want to pay more in taxes for something, and you do, and you either A, you vote against your own best interests because you legitimately believe in childhood education and you absolutely do make $250,000 a year or more. And you absolutely say, yes, tax me so I can give more money to that, to that cause. Well, then more power to you. At least you're living your values. But in that case, the only people that should be voting on it are people who make $250,000 a year or more. For it to be truly a fair environment, this is a measure that should, be, that should be put before people that make over that amount of money. And they should decide for themselves if they want to accept a measure that taxes them more. If you don't make $250,000 a year, if you make less than that, are you willing to... And, and it's... It's not just a matter of answering the question and saying, yes, I'm willing to pay more in taxes. There are people who say that, but they don't do it. So to me, that's bluster. To me, it's meaningless. They don't have skin in the game, to go back to the book, and they refuse to put skin in the game because there's nothing stopping you. If you're one of those people that says, I would love to pay more taxes for childhood education. I would love to raise my taxes. Let's, you know, here's more money to pay for low-income housing, and here's more money to pay for Medicare or Medicaid, whatever. Students and learning and infrastructure, whatever else your heart can dream up. If you're one of those people, 
then are you actually paying more in taxes? Do you write them a check? Do you write the government a check every year and send more than you were supposed to? Willingly. And tell the government, please keep it. Please keep it. You know, back in, uh, I think it was Obama's first term, there were a lot of liberals who were running around saying, yes, I want to pay more in taxes. Tax me, tax me. I want to pay more. They were virtue signaling on taxation. And so a group of people said, okay, fine. You know what we're going to do? We're going to create this. We're going to create a way because apparently you're, you were, these people were too dumb to recognize on their tax forms that there is a box, there is a line item that says, I want the government to have more of my money and I can put in a dollar amount and I can write a check. And people didn't realize that that was there. So they actually created, I think it was like a PayPal account or GoFundMe type of account type of thing. And you could send money and it was specific money that was going to go to the government. And I think in the, in the year that it was available, less than $1,000 was, was put into that fund. Less than $1,000. So yes, there are a lot of people that go around and they beg the government, yes, please tax me. What they're actually saying is, tax me as a, as a, as a taxpayer, but really tax somebody else. Tax somebody, tax, tax some other taxpayer, but they're virtue signaling by saying, please tax me. Because they don't send more money to the government. They never do. They never write a check and, and they never put skin in the game. So why should anybody take them seriously? You shouldn't either. So unless you're willing unless you are absolutely living by that value of yes, I'm paying more in taxes than I should. My taxes are X number and I'm actually paying, paying X plus five. Unless you are actually doing that, not willing, not saying that you're willing to do that, unless you're actually doing that, then nobody should take you seriously. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Again, this was just a quick little extra DLC from Salt Lake City. Uh, this week, I will be flying back uh, at the end of this week. So we should have our next week, we'll have our new full episode with the two of us bantering back and forth and laughing and joking as always. So until then, thank you everybody for listening. I love you all. Chat soon. Cheers.